0: Remember, God is fighting your battles, arranging things in your favor, making a way even when we don't see it. Our serving team today is Brother Bob Pierce, our Zoom moderator, Sister Helena Thompson, our Minister of Music, our Pastor Reverend Dr. Milson Black will deliver the preached word. Sister Greta Ayers will offer the invitation to discipleship. Today, is, as it is the first Saturday of the month, we will be offering the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. So, sometime before we arrive at that point in the service, please gather your elements of a piece of bread or cracker or a host and water, juice, or wine. Pastor Milton will offer. Holy Communion today. And I, Carolyn Cunningham, will serve as your worship leaders. We ask all of you on this call to pray in your daily prayers for Refuge from the Storm Church members, the Worldwide Church, our families and friends, TIs around the world, advocacy and activist groups, the loved ones of those who have died from targeting the coronaviruses and other catastrophic illnesses. Also pray that all government officials be moved by the Holy Spirit to discern the will of God, to do it and not do their will. Please pray for world peace. All refugees, victims of the worldwide climate crisis, especially where it's causing extreme starvation Please pray for the loved ones of all victims of gun violence and for the survivors who sustained severe injuries. We pray for the people of Jackson, Mississippi to receive clean water and all the water that they need as soon as possible. Thank you for your attention. attention. Now. I will sing the opening praise and worship song. After that, I will lead you through the rest of the worship service. As a friendly reminder, please mute your phone if there's any background noise where you are by pressing star six. Be blessed. Amen.
1: He grew the tree that he knew would hold the body of his son and it was that we might go free. That's something to think about. That's something to praise God about. I give thanks and praise to God. My father is the head of the Holy Trinity for our yet spirit lives today. And I welcome each of you along with Elder Carolyn to our service. I'm always proud to acknowledge those who work tirelessly to help me offer services to you that will strengthen your walk with the Lord. I assure you that if you ask any of us how we've made it as long as we have, each of us will tell you it's only been by the grace of God and our belief and faith in Jesus Christ. Those who work with me are called our ministry team. They are the associate ministers who are uh, Pastors Terence and Pamela Wilson and Elder Carolyn Cunningham, our Bible study leader, as well as our minister of education, Christian education, is Sister Cheryl Miller-Harvey. Then our worship coordinator is Sister Helena Thompson. Sister Greta Ayers offers our invitation to discipleship each week. Then we have our Zoom and Talk you Managers, Brother, Brother Bob Pierce, and our Administrative Assistant, Sister Sharon Taylor. I know that Elder Carolyn generally calls the names of those who are participating in the service each week, but I wanted to give a special thanks to each of you, understanding that without you it would be very difficult to carry out all of the tasks of running a church. And I appreciate you for the time and the service that you give. To God be the glory we live all across these United States. So for those of you who are, are joining with us this evening, from wherever you are, we are also somewhere among you from California to Maryland, from Washington State to Ohio, Kentucky, Texas, to Tennessee and Georgia, and even up to Canada. We all work together by God's grace to make this worship service Possible. Now, our scripture for today is a continuation or one to continue the theme of trees. T R E E S. Rarely do you hear messages that are built around trees, but they are so important to God Himself and in the Word of God. Now, I said to you on last week that we were going to start in the book of Ezekiel and I was going to go through. Some of the scripture passages as messages that deal with trees. So, from Ezekiel 17, verses 22 through 24, I'll be reading from the Amplified Bible. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a twig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will crop off from the topmost of his young twigs a tender one and I will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. I will plant it on the mountain heights of Israel that it may grow boughs and bear fruit and be a noble and stately cedar. And birds of every kind will live under it. They will nest securely in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the field will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall tree Exalt the low tree, dry up the green tree, and make the deep tree flourish, make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will fulfill it. Let us pray. Great and mighty God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to bow humbly before your holiness, O God. Spirit of the living God, breathe fresh upon us. Breathe fresh upon God's word that we might be fed and watered and that we might grow. Now, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength. And my Redeemer in Jesus' name. Amen. So, for a topic this afternoon, to some and this evening to others, I'll be talking about a tree that trusts God. A tree that trusts God. This particular chapter. Um, at the very beginning, God talks to Ezekiel about a riddle. He said he was going to tell him a riddle and a parable. I hope you all will remember riddles as children. I do. I had to really work to pull up some of those that were told because people would walk up to you and say, I've got a riddle for you. What's this, this, or this, and this, and you try and rack your brains to come up with the answer to it. And it would be some funny something that you all would laugh about and and you walk on or they would walk on. But a riddle actually was a structured, was actually structured like a puzzle, right? So you, you work in a puzzle in your mind. Here's one. What's black and white and red all over? Surely all of you remember that one. The answer was a book. Here's another one. How can a brown cow eat green grass and make white milk? That's still a riddle that has not been answered except that we have to say, God did it. And this one is one of the most amazing ones as you give it thought. And it refers to what Jesus did for us at Calvary. He took our black hearts, washed them in his red blood and made them white as snow. Now that's a riddle that we're glad could be solved. Who could do anything like that? No one but Jesus. In the book of Ezekiel, I gave some of his history last week. He was considered a prophet and a priest which means that Ezekiel was also of the tribe of Levi. He was married and he lived in Judea. Now, the interesting thing about Ezekiel's marriage was there came a time when God told Ezekiel that he was going to take his wife from him in death. And he told Ezekiel, do not cry as an example to Israel of the strength that one can have. Now, Ezekiel and Daniel were both in Babylon at the same time. Ezekiel began to prophesy of first judgment in the early chapters of the book of Ezekiel. And in the latter chapters, Ezekiel began to preach about hope and restoration. But there was a lot of judgment coming to Judah because of their idolatrous and disobedient ways. I'm telling you, God knows how to punish his children. So as we talk more, much of the early scriptures are again spoken in a parable or written in a parable. And a parable is a story that illustrates a spiritual truth. The deeper meaning is not seen without a deep and a close examination. I'm telling you you all, I had to labor over these scriptures to get what I believe is the meaning that God wants us to know today. By the same token, a riddle is a challenge and it challenges the wit. But parables grab the attention and it sticks in the memory. So with the riddle, you might be stumped for a minute when you come up with the answer or the other person tells you the answer you all will laugh and go on right it has I mean it's just something funny something to laugh about but when you get the truth the deep meaning of a parable that's something that's going to stay with you you're going to remember that one forever The chapter starts off by talking about eagles and a vine. There was a strong eagle and that eagle, as God described his strength and and who, who they were, was Babylon. Babylon was situated on the Tigris and Euphrates and the Persian Gulf. You all will think about the Persian Gulf where there has been wars called Desert Storm. Babylon has continued to this day to rule the merchants of the Eastern world. And if truth be told, and if they're able to accomplish this one world government, Babylon will still be in control. The second eagle was Egypt. Babylon captured Judah and took some of them back to Babylon as captives. One of the people that Babylon took with them was Jehoiachin, who was the king at the time. Now, of significance was that they made his son, Zedekiah, the king of Jerusalem. And Zedekiah made a promise. That he would rule under Babylon's leadership. The second eagle was Egypt and Zedekiah turned to Egypt for help so that he could turn on Nebuchadnezzar and break his people free. But this is really where Zedekiah's problems began. You see one of the things about making covenant and and as we'll remember, God is a man of covenant. God approached Abram about making covenant with him and a covenant is an agreement. Generally in a covenant, both both parties have to agree to do something. It's a if this, then you, if then situation. Zedekiah was trying to go back on his promise And unfortunately, he was doing it to a force that was greater than he was and that was also greater than Egypt. The problem on turning your back on a promise or or going back on your word to someone or trying to garner assistance from someone to come against another party with you is that the other party could turn on you too. In fact, you can almost expect it. So Zedekiah got no help from Egypt and he lost. He didn't just lose the battle against Babylon, but Zedekiah lost favor with God. God expected Zedekiah to be loyal to the covenant that he had made to Nebuchadnezzar no matter what. So Judah would have continued to prosper if Zedekiah had kept his promises to Babylon remember the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and even though Judah was in captivity God had already had a talk with Jeremiah he said that, that I'm going in with you and I'm going to bring you out God had already seen to it that the items and the artifacts from the temple was taken into Babylon with the children of Israel that gave God permission to go right on in there with them because those artifacts belonged to him and so he wasn't worried about Judah going into Jerusalem uh, into Babylon God was going to just continue to be God there's the scripture from uh, uh, Proverbs 21 that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord And like the waterway, God turns it any way he wants to. So God was going to see to it that Nebuchadnezzar treated his people right. But Zedekiah took things into his own hands. So God renders judgment against Judah and Egypt because Zedekiah broke the oath that God would honor. Even a handshake was not enough to convince Zedekiah. To be honorable. You all would remember, I'm sure if you think about what our parents or how our parents have trained us and taught us, your word is your bond. That's something that's been told. That's a character builder from way back. If And to strengthen that when you give your handshake on something, many a uh, transaction has been secured through a handshake. Sometimes land has been purchased through a handshake. Other times, money has been borrowed by handshake. The promise to repay, the promise to pay again has taken the form of a handshake as it's guarantee that the promise will be fulfilled. Because Zedekiah broke the covenant and brought dishonor not just to himself, not just to Israel, but also to God. Zedekiah died a horrible death while in Babylon in captivity. And so God came to Ezekiel and he said, he broke my oath and my covenant. God took it all personal. God said, and because he broke my oath and my covenant, I will do some things. I will recompense on him. I will spread my net over him, over his head, and he shall be taken in my snare. Nebuchadnezzar didn't have to worry about repaying Zedekiah for anything that he had done by trying to organize a coup against him. God took it personal. God says, I'll take care of it. And so we can be assured even in our own lives, even in our own situations, when we make covenants, God takes it personal. We are doing it as unto the Lord. And whatever we do is unto the Lord, we have to remember that it's as if God is personally in the room. Jesus said in Matthew 24, when he talked about feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and giving shelter to the homeless and visiting the sick and those who are in He said, in as much as you've done it unto the least of these, my little ones, you've done it unto me. And then he says, and so there's a special place prepared for you in heaven. He'll say, come ye, blessed of my father, because you did all those things. I'm gonna make you ruler over many things. But then he says, then there'll be those who I'll, t- I'll call to sit on, on my left. those who did those things unto him or unto others as if they were jesus jesus said i'll let you sit on my right hand but those who sit on the left he will say depart from me you workers of iniquity for you saw me hungry and you didn't give me food you saw me naked and you did not bother to clothe me you saw me without housing and you did not even worry about giving me shelter I was sick. You didn't come to see me. I was in prison. You didn't even give me a card of encouragement. Jesus said that those who are about to be banished will say, when do we see you in those positions? And Jesus will say, "Inasmuch as as you did it, not unto the least of these, my little ones, you did it not unto me. And then Jesus ended that, that passage by saying, there will be wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth because those who did not honor the covenants of God, not even the ones that Jesus ordained will have to pay. So God said that he would bring Zedekiah to Babylon and he did. He said that he will try Zedekiah for treason. Now, you know, that's what happens to a soldier who takes his training and uses it against his own nation and his own people. They're guilty of treason. That's what happens to a Congress who refuses to make laws and statutes and pass bills that will protect the people. That's considered treason. God's considered that Zedekiah had committed treason against him. And so Zedekiah's troops failed. The people were scattered and Zedekiah died. God had promised to bring Judah though through the captivity and he still kept his promise. But Judah was being judged for their lack of trust in God. Judah was considered as a tree, y'all. you remember the Psalm of David that said, blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seed of the scornful for his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his will, God's will, he will meditate day and night. Then he goes on with this promise, for they shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of waters who do not cast forth his fruit before a season, his leaves will not wither on the vine. Why? Because he's planted by the waters and whatever he does shall prosper. So that's what, who we are as we allow ourselves to be watered and fed by the word. We don't have to go down to the nearest river and pull from it the water that we need when we go to the word. But Jesus said that when we accept him as our Lord and Savior, then there's a, a, a river of water that takes up residence on the inside of us. And we don't want that river to ever dry up. Jesus promised that it wouldn't. There were some times, Zedekiah went over to Egypt. I wanna get back to that. He went over to Egypt to make an alliance against Babylon. And there were times that others of his ancestors had gone over to Egypt. I think twice Abraham went to Egypt. Even after he went to Canaan and got the land that God had promised, there was a famine. And and during the famine, Abraham sought to go to Egypt. Then Isaac was on his way to Egypt and God had to get his attention. He said, do not go to Egypt. Because Egypt represented something that God did not want us to have to deal with. Egypt represented bondage. It represented in chain, Egypt represented loss of freedom. And God didn't want his children to ever have to live in those situations. And so God gave instructions to ask it. Don't you dare go over there. And but Israel, who became Jacob's baby son, went over to Egypt. And God saw to that being done. But if you go back, Abraham was instructed by God in a dream. He says, your people are going to find themselves in a foreign land. There they're going to stay for 430 years. He said, but I'm going to bring them out. So, God had already prophesied to Abraham that this was going to happen. Only Abraham had no idea that his great grandson would be the way that his children would get to Egypt. You'll remember Joseph's dream. I shared that a little bit on Wednesday night. Joseph had, had a dream, he had two dreams, and he shared the dreams first with his brother, then brothers, there were 11 of them, and then with his dad. All of them rebuked him. But the brothers came up with this idea that they would get rid of the the brother. They would throw him in a pit and then see what happened to his dream. Little did they know that God was giving Joseph a dream about the plight of his people, which was in line with the promise that he'd made to Abraham so many years ago. So through the plot of his brothers, Joseph ends up first in a pit, then sold to the Midians who took him to sell him to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh took him into his palace. In the palace, Pharaoh's wife became attracted to Joseph. Joseph refused her. His advance, her advances. She lied on him that landed him in prison. In prison, Joseph seemed to have not lost his faith in God. He continued walking in character. He continued being a man of honor and God kept his eye and his hand on Joseph. The baker and the butcher, the baker and the cupbearer, Joseph met in jail. Both of them got out. Both of them forgot that Joseph was there. They both promised to tell the king about Joseph. So God sent another dream, this time to the king, the king wanted to have someone who could interpret it. And that's when Joseph was remembered. Joseph was brought before the king. He told the meaning of the dream. The king put Joseph in command. Guess where? Of the food supply. So when God sent the next drought to Canaan, Joseph was already in position to help his Family to keep living so Joseph's brothers come to Egypt looking to buy buy food Joseph recognizes them but they didn't recognize him he sends them back to get their father Jacob and there all of Israel ends up in Egypt Joseph gets the privilege of saying to them you meant it for evil They did horrible things to him. He had to go through some major stressful times as a result of it, but God made it good. And notice that Joseph says to them, it wasn't just for me, it was to save much people alive because Joseph ended up in Egypt, just as God had prophesied, Israel continued to live. So when Judah turned its attention away from Babylon, toward Egypt, it was as essentially turning their back on God's care. And much like biting the hand that feeds it, except that the Lord builds a house, this is a scripture in Psalm 127, they labor in vain that build it, except the Lord keeps the city, the watchman waketh in vain. Zedekiah thought that by making an alliance with Egypt, they would be able to bring their people back to Jerusalem, but he was essentially trying to build his own house without the assistance of God. He was trying to set himself up as the watchman of his own city, but he was soon to learn that except the Lord keeps the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So can he break a covenant and still be delivered? Well, let's look at our own behavior. Can you make an agreement to be on a job so many days a week and go to the job any day of the week you want to and stay away when you want to? Because agreeing to a salary and agreeing to a time and place means you made a covenant. And if you decide to, make, to break the covenant, guess what? You lose the job. And say you buy a car. And we signed, we all had to sign that contract with the bank or with the mortgage finance company that we're going to pay them a certain amount on a certain day of the month. And that's their agreement is that we'll let you keep the car as long as you keep your agreement. Can we break a covenant and still be delivered? Before you know it, someone's going to come to pick that car up. If they don't pick it up, (laughs) sometimes people try to outrun them. They can now lock it up from wherever they are because all cars have satellites and they run by electronics and the bank can lock the car up so that no matter what you do to try to start it, it won't start. And say you buy a house. We signed the mortgage, right? Oh boy, there's a lot of fanfare in in buying a house. You have to go to the title company to seal the deal. There's a lawyer involved, there's title searches involved, all that's involved in bringing you to the place of making a covenant to pay the mortgage company to let you live in this house. And on a certain day, for a certain number of years, but then I guess about halfway through, you decide you don't want to pay the mortgage anymore you don't really owe them because you've been keeping up the house and painting it when it needed needed painting and modernizing it and I don't think I owe the mortgage company anymore but even God will remind you that you made a covenant and in the agreement you promised to pay a certain amount on a certain day of the month and without keeping the covenant you lose the house all of those are very serious places to be in. We all need a roof over our head. We all need to have a, a vehicle or a, place, a means by which we can get to and from to jobs, to doctor appointments, to pick up, to purchase food, to take and, 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 and drop, drop off and to pick up children or whatever else to make our way to church if we have to go to an outside church and so if we break the covenant, guess, look at all of the activity that could come grind into a halt. Look at all the security that you give up. Zedekiah did something even worse than that. He gave up his security with God. I just wanted to throw in there that modern day Babylon today is called Iraq. Think back over the wars that you've heard of. And today, modern day Persia, <laughs> it's called Iran. And I mentioned Persia because they ended up overthrowing Babylon before it was all over. And it was through the king of Persia that the children of Israel began to go free and to be allowed to go back home. So I'll just reiterate, oaths and agreements made as a worshiper of God should be honored as if the oath was made to God himself. But there was the tendency of Judah to rely on Egypt, which again represented servitude, it represented distress and it represented tribulation. It also represented a contest with false gods and God didn't miss any of this. In naming his complaint against Judah and meeting out the punishment that went with the breaking of the covenant, even though the covenant was being made with their captors. We have to be really, really careful about who we enter into covenant with. And we surely don't want to enter into covenant with God's enemies. for they are also our enemies. So God's solution, he says, I'm going to take a young twig from the very top of the highest branches of the tallest tree. That twig would represent the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to take it and plant it on a high mountain. Now notice God says he was going to plant that twig on a mountain. I love to see trees growing out of a mountain because you aren't gonna find any dirt there, y'all. Any dirt you'll find will be, well, it's been blown in from the wind, but the roots of the tree go down in the mountain. They are all the more secure standing when the rains come, when the tornadoes come, when the hurricanes come, when, when the winds blow. That tree is going to be all the most secure because its roots go down into the mountain. And the only time a mountain moves is when God moves it or when they take the, what on the television used to be TNT, dynamite, and blow it out of the way. God says from that twig that I make a plant I'm gonna bring forth boughs and bear fruit and every sort of bird will dwell. That means God's gonna feed the, the world actually, because Jesus is the twig that becomes the plant on the highest mountain, probably Mount Zion. And as men and women, boys and girls come to it, they will find shelter under its bows. They will be able to have fruit from it. And it says every sort of bird will dwell. Every sort of bird will mean the people from where, whatever part of the world they come. As they come to Jesus, they will find safety. They will find covering. They will find security. And so the parable goes on. God says he was gonna bring down a high tree. That's Babylon. And this becomes, then it becomes an eschatological saying. He was gonna exalt the low tree who became Jesus. He was gonna dry up the green tree. Babylon was green with with, uh, commerce. They made lots of money. They did lots of selling and trading. In Revelations, it said, including the bodies and the souls of men. And for that, God would get them in the end. And God says He was going to make the dry tree flourish. Remember, they called Jesus the stone that the builder rejected when the builder was looking for stones to build the temple. He overcame, overlooked Jesus, said, Oh, that's too scrawny that doesn't look like a tree, a stone that would hold up very much of anything. And so they overlooked him, but he became the chief cornerstone. Now there are instances of of God exalting the low. That's when the word says the last will be first and the first will be last. Remember Joseph. He was at the end of, of Jacob's tree of children. He was the one that they threw out of the family. His brothers did that horrible thing, but he was also the one that God exalted. God exalted him in the eye of the Pharaoh. He exalted him over the people in that land. He exalted him over his own family because indeed like the dream, they had to come to him for food. Look at how God exalted Israel. Israel made made a lot of uh, messes. They made a lot of problems for themselves. What Israel did was ran after other gods even after they saw all all the miracles that God could perform. Israel followed other people's gods because they followed the women and the women pulled them away. Sometimes fear caused them to shut down and placed their trust in others as did Zedekiah in Egypt, rather than keeping his faith in God. But God, every time would, because of his mercy and his love, would bring Israel out and stand them on their feet once again. Remember King David, after Saul was put out of God's favor, Samuel overlooked David. He kept asking for the next oldest and the next oldest and the next oldest, but the oil would not cooperate with Samuel's plan because the oil had God's plan at hand. And so came David, the very last child, the last one called, the last one anyone thought would be anyone significant in God's plan. David became part of the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. So we wanna remember that God is sovereign. That means he's boss. He's the one that caused the shots. No matter how things seem, God is always in control. He's never out of control. So when we look at ourselves and this political leadership or lack of sound political leadership, or lack of honest political leadership, God's still in control. When we look at our economic security, when we wonder if we're gonna have to go to a digital coin, when we wonder if the dollar is gonna crash or be done away with altogether, whatever man comes up with, if God allows it, Notice I said allow that in the case God's still in control, he will provide for us. We hear a lot about food and famine. It grieves us to think about what happens when they deliberately burn down chicken plants or when they deliberately don't let men plant gardens any longer when they deliberately leave good food sitting out on barges instead of bringing them in to our country so that the prices will go down. Many people tell us, make sure you have some extra food on hand. God still hasn't lost control. Even when it looks like there's not enough. Remember the one who took two fish and five loaves of bread and fed. 5,000 men and the rest and there were still baskets of food left over. God is still involved in the affairs of humanity. That's important for us to remember. He's involved in your situations and your circumstances. He's concerned about what concerns you. He's still able to turn the tables over on the money changers, though they sell our bodies and our brains. God is still the one who's in charge. Monkeypox doesn't concern him. COVID and the vaccines doesn't take him out of of control. Transhumanism, which is what they're saying they're after when they make people take the shots or the jabs or the COVID-19 vaccine. God still recognizes his own. They might change our DNA, but they can't take our spirits because that's part of God himself. Mind control, neural warfare, microwave energy does not get God upset because he knows how to shut them all down and to give us back what's his. God is not unaware of the plan of man. Depopulation, genocide, election results, one world military currency or religion does not get God excited. God remains sovereign over history, your story and my story. He's still in control. When I think of reset, the word reset means set again, anew, bring to normal, clear any pending errors or events. That's what man is talking about doing to the world. Reset. But I want to tell you about turning around. Remind you of how God turned things around, how God turns the table. Remember, he turned the table on Pharaoh when they thought they could run into the Red Sea after the children of Israel. It didn't work. The word turnaround means an abrupt or unexpected change, especially one that results in a more favorable situation. Those things happen suddenly. Like suddenly the Hebrew boys was in the fiery furnace with the fourth person in the fire. Suddenly Daniel was coming out of the lion's den, still in one piece. Suddenly the chains fell off and the bars opened on Paul and Silas as they sang and prayed and gave praises to God. Suddenly the woman's issue of blood dried up and Jairus's daughter was brought back to life. Suddenly the woman who'd been bowed over for 38 years stood up straight because Jesus said, I want you to stand up. You are loosed from your infirmities. Of all the trees planted in this world, God knew exactly which tree would hold his son on Calvary. Think about that as God began to plant the trees in creation. He knew which one, exactly which one, was going to be used for the task of holding up his son as he gave up the ghost on a hill called Calvary. God uses trees as metaphors and and examples of man So when God looks at a tree, he sees men or when he looks at a tree, he sees his son hanging for you and for me. There's some major importance in the trees. So I looked for what tree exactly, I've been looking for this you all for years, held Jesus at Calvary. Last week I told about the dogwood tree, the, the legend of the dog tree. Today I have another legend because no one has given the exact tree. But today's legend says there were three trees that held Jesus's body. There was a cypress tree, which represented royalty and priestly, and it held his entire body. Then there was a the cedar tree, and it represented incorruption. It held his feet. And then there was the palm tree. It went across the crossbow. crossbow. It held his hands and it represented victory. The tree was growing in the earth that nourished it. The roots went down to hold the tree up. And then the timber from that tree made the cross. The song tells about a, a, a tree that stood on a hill. And it says on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, an emblem of suffering and shame. And he goes on and says, but I love that old tree where the dearest and blessed for a world of lost sinners was slain. And the course is always one favorite place that we would end up. So I cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday. For a cross. We all want to be trees that trust in God. God sees us as a tree standing sturdy and, and securely fixed. And he expects our trust in him. Amen.